Welcome back to Water Flying. This week we are at EAA AirVenture 2021 in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Today we are joined by Dirk Braun, filmmaker and creator of Flying Boat, the documentary that premiered at AirVenture this year. Stay tuned. You're listening to Water Flying, a weekly podcast to bring you all things seaplanes. I'm Steve McCoy, the Executive Director of the Seaplane Pilots Association. And I'm Abby Kellett, Assistant to the Executive Director at the Seaplane Pilots Association, and I'm also a flight instructor in seaplanes. The Seaplane Pilots Association is committed to protecting and promoting water flying. We achieve this by working to maintain and expand waterway access. We promote seaplane safety, create educational programs, produce the only full-color glossy magazine dedicated to the seaplane community, and we create exciting seaplane events. We want to continue to improve this podcast, and we encourage your feedback. Feel free to reach out to us if there is anything you would like to hear in future episodes. So thanks for listening. Let's jump right in. Well, here we are at Air Venture 2021, and we have a very special guest with us, Mr. Dirk Braun, and a big week for you with some major events. Why don't you tell about uh, our audience about your amazing week here? Well, it's been so wonderful to be here this year, and uh, excitedly, I premiered my movie Flying Boat on Sunday night at the Flying Theater. We had a great great turnout and it's spectacular. And we got to go. So we did quite a few members of our team here, the volunteers and then staff that are here representing the Seaplane Pilots Association. Myself, Steve, my dad. So it was it was pretty cool just sitting on the grass out at the fly-in and watching the movie. Yeah, and it was a packed crowd. I mean, the field was full of people. It was. Turnout was great. It was a great energy there. It was really fun. Yeah. Super. Exactly. So I think we'd like to go into, and I think the movie gives a really nice overview of how important flying boats were, like just in the development of aviation prior to World War II. And I, could you give us kind of an inner, um, an overview of what they did for us? Well, before there was an abundance of runways, flying boats ruled the skies. And uh, they were the first to pioneer long distance travel before there were a lot of runways. So they had a great romantic history, and they were short. It was short-lived, though. Um, it was during World War II. They built a bunch of runways, and the flying boat became obsolete. And this short but romantic and adventurous era was kind of obsolete and disappeared. Um, and uh, the last remaining flying boat from that was flown by Pan Am is the Grumman Albatross, and that's what this film focuses on. And uh, it's had so many different purposes over the years and it's what inspired me to make the film yeah and i think it's pretty amazing because the romance and adventure and exotic destinations that seaplanes represent to society and the way they're portrayed in movies really does play out in real life and i think there's such this of uh, this nostalgia for the boeing 314 and the china clipper mm-hmm. and i did some great work with the Na- um with the naval museum on these and what was really Fascinating is they only did 106 flights from 1936 to the beginning of World War II in 1941. There was only 146 of the the clipper ship flights. But it's amazing how they've cemented themselves yes. in aviation. Yes, it's so psyche. iconic, and people still right. associate with the big flying boats to that. And the Albatross was the next incarnation of that. Absolutely, as um, a post-war boat. They speak to fantasy. 
you know, when yeah, you they look do. at one, you can you're kind of just kind of in disbelief of what it can do, but you wonder what you do with one. So, yeah. and I think you go into that very well in the movie quite a few times, where you say you can go pretty much anywhere, and there's this really great line where it's the the certainty of return is not guaranteed. It's something like that. It might not be a perfect quote, but I mean, isn't that the definition of adventure? Absolutely. It's just amazing. So what drew you to the albatross specifically? When I first discovered the albatross, I was, uh, it was 17 years ago, and uh, my good friend Corey, who was in the audience, um, he introduced it to me, and I just kept fantasizing about it, and it never left me. And by chance... Uh, Years later, I was talking to my father about them, and I was like, I deemed it the greatest adventure machine, and I just loved them. And he said, I think Tom Casey, my oldest friend from kindergarten, is actually in the process of restoring one. It was and almost I, meant to be. I knew how rare they were. I thought <laughs> it was it. I was in disbelief, and uh, it is indeed Tom Casey was doing that. And uh, so I got in touch with him. He went, went on a flight, and I made a short little film, and it was just incredible. And he knew so much about the history of it, and... Uh, I kept continuing, continuing this project. Well, I just think it's great to find a kindred brother that has such a respect and obsession and um, wonderment for the aircraft that I've loved for so much of my life. And we've talked about before on the podcast, you know, I grew up with chalks and watching them fly out of Biscayne Bay and fell in love. And as we've said before, um, we got married in a Grumman Albatross in flight, and Tom Casey was at our wedding with an Albatross, <laughs> so, <laughs> which was amazing. So it's a very small world. <laughs> so the story was kind of an expansion of that short film that you did with Tom? Uh, the short film was just, I, I would have to film. I had my camera with me. Right. So I just made a, a little two-minute film, the experience, and I, I knew I wanted to film with him long before that. Um, yeah. But uh, it just the first experience really just took it to the next level. I just knew I had to keep pursuing it. So I've been fantasizing and thinking about doing things with albatrosses and filming for a while. Yeah, once you fly an albatross, they it's a disease that you can't get rid of. Never lose it. <laughs> so I hate to spoil it or anything, but can you give us kind of an overview of, I know the film focuses on Tom and, you know, the mechanics and the pilots who love these airplanes. But can you tell us more about Tom's project specifically? Uh, well, Tom, Tom uh, what's ironic is uh, another irony, is that he it took him 17 years to get the film, or, sorry, to get the albatross out of the boneyard and flying. Mm-hmm. And uh, it took me 17 years between introduction to it to, to now. So Yeah. Uh, but he, his plane was in pieces in a derelict hull uh, in the desert, and he decided to uh, buy it and get it running and flying and it was just a lifelong pursuit that's a hard image to look at in tucson where the boneyard is i know they don't isn't it like that's not officially the boneyard but everyone calls it the boneyard i mean it's hard seeing all those holes especially seaplanes so far from water where they're meant to be and they're all just laying out in rows like just just, scrap metal decay it's painful to watch and then that image of the claw you know tearing into the side of one it's, it hurts, but the fact that, you know, these people took it upon themselves to resurrect a part of that history, really amazing. Absolutely. And, of course, Mike Barron, um, oh, who, yeah. I, who I came across, he's a, you know, he flew out the last seven uh, Trox Airlines ones. Mm-hmm. From, that was just an inspiring story. So, yeah, and so there were 466 aircraft made. Correct. And there were only 13 certified airplanes made, and Chalks took 12 of them. And then the 13th one went to a private owner. 
Um, and it's an amazing story. But there's a lot of these halls out there that could be restored still. Uh, when we got married in 2001, there were 25 flying. And I think there's only about 14 flying today, oh. somewhere around there. Um, and it's an incredibly expensive and dedicated endeavor to, to keep them in the air and to fly them. But it's so rewarding. Absolutely. Um, I related to filmmaking, too, where it's uh, just a dedication to to something that you're passionate about. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think, you know, the fact that these people have taken it upon themselves to preserve a part of history. So my dad works for Kermit Weeks. I think we've talked about that on the show. Who appears in the movie? Flight. Yes, who appears in the movie with his albatross. And, I mean, you just have to respect the people that, I mean, they're big projects. Like they're They're not real convenient. They're not easy to store. And I'm sure it's quite a bit of financially put into them to keep them running and restore them. But you've really got to admire those people that take it upon themselves. Absolutely. I mean, it's the machine to, uh, to do that with, you know, if you, if you really love it and, and want to be a part of it, it takes a lot of effort, but anything that's worth any, anything takes a lot of effort. That's definitely. And to kind of paint the picture for the listeners that aren't familiar with the Albatross, we're talking about an aircraft that is over 25 feet tall. It's incredibly imposing on a ramp. It has a 100-foot wingspan for the long wing version. Um, It makes over 2,400 horsepower, and it carries 36,000 pounds gross weight. I mean, this is a big airplane for a seaplane. I mean, it's it's a beast, and it barks. (laughs) Distinctly. Very distinctly, unlike anything. (laughs) It makes a lot of noise. Definitely. I, I like that, you know, the movie focuses so well on the aircraft and, you know, the mechanics of getting it put back together. But it also takes a really good look at the people. And so I think there's a nice, there's a nice juxtaposition. There, juxtaposition. Yeah. And so it's not just a machine, cold metal. There are people behind it. And I think it, it, it gives a nice tie into both of those things. And seeing um, Tom at the end, you know, flying. I mean, that was a cool image. Kind of the culmination of everything. For us, it was just what, two hours of watching this movie, but for him it was years of working on this project. Certainly, yeah. So. Yeah, so for the owners, these airplanes have a heart and soul. And so yeah. humans who have heart and souls are putting their heart and soul into these aircraft. And those of us who have this obsession look at these airplanes as living creatures. And, you know, we want to make sure that we're good stewards of them. Uh, and it, it's just a an unbelievable shame to me that more people haven't, had the experience of flying them, you know, whether you're a passenger or a pilot, it's just, it's been such a limited experience for people. And I think it, I don't know how you couldn't love it. Uh, and we talked a little bit about the bow wave coming over the bubble windows behind the landing gear, uh, and the sounds, it's such a physical airplane to fly. And it, it has these, all these unique sounds and they change depending as we were discussing in the cabin, if you're in front of the engines and the propeller, or if you're in the back of the, the airplane, it's amazing. The different sounds. Definitely. It's it's obvious that you're not passionate about it at all. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Oh gosh. Kindred spirits here. Honestly, I would love to hear more about the experience of filming, you know, the actual cinematography work. There were obviously multiple, multiple locations where you went to film, um, you know, how are you doing that? How are you getting those shots of the aircraft mid-flight? I mean, helicopter, drone, like what actually went into the logistics of it? Uh, it's been, every, every shoot has a different approach. And uh, I, wanted to, I wanted to make it a film that has different, a wide range of film uh, 
technique and style to it. So if there's anything from me running around this country by myself and with all my camera equipment to wanting to get the most high production shot, and that's when I used helicopters or uh, drones. Drones are good for low level, and then helicopters are good for the really dynamic air-to-air shots that we didn't really locate, like deep locations. Yeah. How many locations do you know? Do you have a count of how many locations? Because there were a lot. A lot of locations. Um, the idea is that I wanted to put them in as many scenarios as I could and uh, use them to the most of its abilities in our imaginations. Yeah. So, um, it, de- it depends. I mean, uh, dozens of locations. I yeah. yeah. I, I was surprised by the Adirondack uh, locations because... I had flown them in areas like the Bahamas and things like that, but I'd never flown them in the Adirondacks. Um, and they're, and we do a lot of advocacy work to keep that water open. And I was like, wow, they were making that much noise with this big airplane in the Adirondacks. I'm jealous. (laughs) (laughs) See, but that shot of you going down the Hudson and, um, someone comes out the nose and, and it was such a beautiful their shot. Hands out the- yeah, so like we talked about this before the podcast, but it's a beautiful shot and beautiful music behind it. And I'm sitting there like, oh my God, there's so much traffic in that area. I mean, I flew there and so I know it's an absolute mess of traffic. So what was that like flying around New York with somebody hanging out the front? Uh, it was me out the front. <laughs> I was, was going to say, you I thought front? it was oh, you. <laughs> Um, it was, you know, blistering sound of radio engines, but just peaceful looking at the, this huge city and it was a, it was a beautiful experience. I noticed there was a security helicopter above the Statue of Liberty when you guys were going. (laughs) (laughs) It was, it was pretty neat. It was seeing New York from a different angle, like in a different perspective. You know, from a, from a pilot's perspective is, uh, you know, seeing a different perspective is the, is the goal. Right, but like, you know, me going in there for work all the time and then seeing someone that was, oh, he's having a lot of fun going down the Hudson. <laughs> so. and, and I will say, as good as the caravan is about handling big water, the Albatross handles that water much better. <laughs> so. Really? Huh. Oh, yeah. You're not getting beat up in your seat too bad? You're not feeling it in your spine? Oh, no. Oh. We've landed in eight foot seas. Oh, in, wow. And the Albatross. So easily. Uh, we've done some big water work. Yeah, I'd like uh, to claim it's the most diversely capable aircraft ever made. Yeah, it's it is, and so they have a hatch in the airplane, which is very unique uh, in the cabin, uh, which I don't think you'll find very many other airplanes that have. There's a secret about that hatch of what it exists for. You want to which make, hatch are you talking? About? The the one where the spare engine. <laughs> oh, in the middle of it. Yes. In the middle of it. They used to have a sextant there too. Yeah, for celestial navigation. Yeah. But some of the aircraft, you literally had a hatch where you could pull an airplane out with a crane and they would drop a bad engine in the water. They would take it off of the crane and drop it in the water and they'd pull a brand new engine out and mount it. Huh. Oh, that yeah. is a fun fact. <laughs> fun <laughs> fact. Field repair on getting to the downed pilot. Right. Yeah. Well, that's pretty amazing. And you have a couple, you have that one story of they ended up having to work on the airplane out in the middle of nowhere. And I think it really speaks to, you know, the versatility and the autonomy of seaplane pilots, the fact that they have to be their own mechanic, their own traffic controller. They, they can't rely on anyone out there. So that was a pretty neat story. Bill DeSilva can attest to that more than anyone. I think he's done more field repairs on albatrosses on exotic flights and exotic destinations. He's gone all, all, all kinds of places, that guy. 
Yeah, amazing. And a character. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> so, Dirk, you're not seaplane rated, correct? Not yet. We would love, I would love to get you seaplane rated. So, you know, I'm a flight instructor. I think that would be a really cool experience for you. But I'd say you have had some almost more experiences not being a seaplane pilot than many people who have a rating. I mean, what was it like, like flying the airplane and how much time did you get, you know, flying it and actually getting your hands on the controls? In an albatross, uh, I'm, I'm new to it as mm-hmm. far as behind the controls because I was mostly filming. But mm-hmm. uh, I learned how to fly during the making of this film and Very I got nice. my license. So You did get your license. Yep. Very nice. So I have a couple hundred hours now. Awesome. And I uh, just want to keep it going. I love it. You have to keep going, right? Absolutely. Can't stop now. So it was 17 years in the making, 18 years in the making of like this dream. Yeah. 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 But how long did the actual film, like this project, how long did it take? Uh, Five or six years. Five or six. So I rolled first rolled camera until until the Sunday night. So it's been pretty all consuming for quite a quite a chunk there. What was the cut down? I mean, how much footage did you end up with? And how and the cutting process is brutal. Uh, thousands of hours, you know? yeah. uh, not thousands of hours of footage, but in, in editing and uh, hundreds of hours of actual footage. And then wow. lots of archive clips and things to work yeah. with. So. That was nice. That was a nice mix in bringing in the historical uh, old archival footage of the Albatross and its SAR mission and everything like that, which was, again, it, it was a nice backdrop for the rest of the story, uh, which was super. And, you actually had probably some of the last footage of some very um, iconic albatross owners that that I knew. So you had Connie Edwards uh, in there, uh, who's no longer with us. Yep. So you were probably one of the last interviews with Connie, who didn't give very many interviews. Yep, that's true. And then uh, Julie Fetko, uh, who passed away as well. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, they didn't get to see the film. That's yeah. So, uh, but you've gotten to pay tribute to those people. It was, it. yeah, yeah. Connie was a character, and Julie was very passionate. And uh, we just had a splash in uh, in Florida at her. Uh, that at her was airport. that was weird. I mean, it made sense because I've I went to that splash and I took a bunch of pictures of the airplane. But seeing that, I was like, oh, I was just there. <laughs> That's great. I was there representing the SBA. Cool. So um, I'm trying to think what else we got for you. So the community, you know, it's a tight-knit community, seaplanes and the albatross community even more so. And so talking to these people, what what was that like getting into that community and talking to the owners? Uh, it was very inspiring. I mean, I love talking to all these people. Um, they all have their different ambitions and aspirations as to why they fly them, but the common denominator is they have this massive seaplane that they keep going. And uh, it's, they are in contact with each other for parts or getting raided or all kinds of things. And it's a two person airplane too. So two or three. I mean, we always flew with three Yeah, and it's a very unique type rating. One that I, again, very fortunate to have a type rating in, uh, there's only about 200 type rated pilots in the world. And, uh, it is a beast. Absolutely. It's a very physical experience. I remember uh, talking to Joe Duke when he was starting his project, and they were saying, oh, we're restoring this albatross, and we're going to go fly it in salt, which you feature with it in the Bahamas. And all I could think about was the amount of maintenance. I was like, you're really going to go fly this in salt, which it's made to do, but the amount of maintenance that comes with that. And it's a shame that these airplanes, in, in many cases, aren't used for that because of that maintenance. 
but it unlocks the magic carpet ride. I mean, that's where the airplane really comes to life. Most certainly. Um, I mean, being able to take it to remote and exotic saltwater locations is the dream. And Sir. We, were, uh, we were able to do that in the film and took it to the next level. And you got some of the most beautiful footage I've ever seen in saltwater with Grumman albatrosses there in the Bahamas. It was. Thank you very much. When's the sequel? <laughs> so what's the next project for you? I mean, I, I, I feel bad asking because the premiere was literally Sunday, like this last Sunday, if you're listening to this on Wednesday, which would be July 28th. We're coming out at 6 a.m. for this podcast. <laughs> um, so what's in the cards for you? There's something in the works. There's something no, in the... No, why you tease? <laughs> <laughs> it involves uh, flying and filmmaking. <laughs> Gee, imagine that. <laughs> that was so broad. <laughs> no, it wasn't. Uh, and I also uh, created a fine art photography gallery as well. Oh, I have, super. I have a book that's going to be published um, soon. Awesome. Yeah. And okay. I believe it's flyingboat.com, correct? Flyingboatfilm.com. Flyingboatfilm.com. So you can find some of that artwork, which is very nice. And you can see the trailer to the movie. If you want to see another showing of the movie, how can we do that? Tomorrow night, Wednesday, July 28th, we're doing a showing at 7 p.m. at Marcus Theaters, which is about three miles from AirVenture. Awesome. And what are your plans? Are you going to do a, a larger theatrical release? Are you going DVD? What are your plans for a future you know, expansion of the release? The, the goal is to do a larger, a larger theatrical release, and awesome. then, then DVD, then streaming. Very good. Yeah. And uh, we're doing a, also in September at the Pan Am Museum, we're doing a showing there too. Oh, super. It's a special place. I filmed there as well. Yeah, very good. Yeah, we saw the shots there uh, in the movie. Well, if you're listening, I have to tell you, um, as some, you know, I have a little bit of a, a kind of a special place in my heart for the albatrosses, which He's we biased. Talk, I am very biased. This is a wonderful film. It tells an amazing story. It, it tells the people side of the story. It shows the airplane coming from their just unbelievably sad condition in the boneyards and then takes it to the you know, absolute nth degree in Tom's airplane and then Joe's airplane which are just impeccable examples of restored aircraft. And it's good to see these guys out there flying them and using them, uh, which is amazing. How they were meant to be. Yeah. So thank you for taking time out of this incredibly busy week. Is there anything we missed? Anything, any, what was your, your most, your single biggest moment in the filming process? Uh, being able to show it in front of this crowd was just the best. <laughs> and we were a part of that. We were. We got to share it. <laughs> that felt cool. Definitely. So what was it about this crowd that you liked so much? This is our core demographic. I mean, the pilot, pilots are just so passionate and so friendly, and it's just been wonderful to meet all these people. And to bring it here was a, a dream in, in itself, and I'm so happy to have done it. What, a, what a, a gift to be able to do a movie premiere at Air Venture. I mean, for someone that has a passion for airplanes and is a, into filmmaking, does it get any better? I don't think so. <laughs> he came I think in. He reached it. Yeah, <laughs> he's kind of at the top of the mountain. I'll try to get creative. <laughs> <laughs> he's kind of walking around. He's a little bit high right now. He's just, I just, I'm still in a haze. I can't believe this is real. <laughs> <laughs> but there's more premieres to come. So there is different places. But it's cool that we got to see the first one. Thank you so much for taking the time. Really appreciate it. Thanks for thanks for coming. Okay, well, Love keep it. us uh, informed. Will do. And uh, we want to continue to follow your future projects. 
Thank you. Okay. The sequel. Till then, from AirVenture 2021, thanks for joining us. Hope you enjoyed this very special episode. We are so glad you joined us today. If you like today's show, I highly encourage you to join the Seaplane Pilots Association and become a member of the largest seaplane community in the world. Members receive Water Flying, the only full-color glossy magazine dedicated to the seaplane community. And it's available in both printed and digital form. Your membership also includes access to the Water Landing Directory app, which has the Seaplane Flight School directory and a calendar of seaplane events not only here in the United States, but around the world. The association hosts regular educational workshops, safety seminars, and gatherings for seaplane pilots and anyone with a passion for seaplanes. So look us up online at seaplanes.org, join our community, and support our mission of protecting and promoting water flying.